Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Joe, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. Today, we're interviewing our own Andrea Pearson, one of the co-hosts of our show, to go into detail about book launches, relaunches, how she manages to write and publish a lot of books, in addition to coaching, podcasting, and putting together courses, all while raising a family. Most of our questions come from listeners, but one or two of them come from Lindsay and me. But before we get started with that, let's start with some news. Andrea? And I'm first up because my name is first up. That's right. <laughs> Alphabet this time. Okay. All right. Okay. So I was you know, lamenting to Lindsay and Joe about this a, a week or so ago, but I've yet again switched newsletter providers. And this has been... It's so freaking tedious. Oh my gosh, I hate it. Um, in the past year and a half, I've used MailChimp, MailerLite, Sandy, and MailJet. MailChimp was my um, go-to provider for several years. And the reason I switched from them was because they actually pivoted their focus. And um, they were starting to charge more. And, and I don't need them to help me with ads or retargeting. So their pivot and prices weren't beneficial for me. Um, and I had nothing but problems when I was with MailerLite last year. Uh, lots of you can... Yeah, I'm not going to go into those. But... Um, I loved using Sendy, but oh my gosh, guys, it was, it was just, it ended up being absolutely horrible because the issues I encountered with them were ones that I just never had problems with before. So, um, over the course of a year, I had a thousand email addresses get marked as hard bounces. And last week I had my assistant move one list from a monthly email list to a weekly email list and as requested by readers. And it was about 5,900 email addresses and all of them got marked as hard bounces. And I mean, these are people that I was emailing every single week on, you know, on a regular basis. I know that they are actually legitimate email addresses. And so I reached out to the person who created Sendy and he's like, that's impossible. That wouldn't ever happen. They're actually bad email addresses. You shouldn't be emailing bad email addresses. And I was like, I'm not emailing with, with, with crap. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I was so upset. So I was like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to switch. So I, I went to the course I put together. Um, I'm so glad I did that now because I've used it so much. Um, and I was like, hmm, which of these sounds best? And I ended up picking Meljet and, um, um, it's MailJet is used by like, um, let's see, Microsoft uses them. And I can't remember what else a bread company uses them. And so they're professional. They've been around for a really, really long time. Um, um, despite some quirkiness, I'm really loving it so far. And I'll give an update in a couple of months since I've only been with them for a week or two, but that's pretty much it for me. Um, we had a huge family reunion that I was in charge of that happened this last weekend with all my siblings and their, their spouses and kids. And, and so I kind of put everything on the back burner while I planned that. And yes, so glad that's over now. <laughs> Can't wait to get back to books. So I'm imagining going to this mail jet and uh, on their like testimonials, they're like, Microsoft loves us in giant print at the top and then at the bottom. And also some bread company uses us and they, they think we're kind of swell too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, is it hard when you transfer? Well, it sounds like it is a problem because you got all the hard bounces. Is there anything authors could do if they do need to change services and they want to like not lose half their mailing list? Are you just importing them and starting from scratch or what's going on? <laughs> um, well, usually like uh, it depends on the, the newsletter provider. Some of them don't allow you to import lists. You have to actually start your list from scratch with them. Um, Sandy, like he was saying that that's not something that's supposed to happen, but it happened to me. So I don't know why. Um, I 
had no problem importing to Meljet and I've already emailed them twice. You know, I've had two weeks of emails go to them and had zero problem with that. So, uh, it generally isn't a problem. And I know moving from MailChimp to MailerLite, when I tried them out, I didn't have any problems there either. So it, most providers don't have an issue. All right. Good to know. Um, as far as my news, I have finished, I just released the fourth book in my Death Before Dragons urban fantasy series, and I sent the sixth off to my beta readers. It's pretty cool to actually be ahead. <laughs> um, so I'll probably launch five in June and six in July. And I realized as I was writing six, as I was plotting it, I was like, this really wraps up a lot of the kind of ongoing stuff that's been going on through the series. So I decided to kind of make that the official end for the series, even though I want to write some more with the characters. And I have mentioned before that I kind of got artwork for a few books before I realized she wasn't quite fast enough for me. And that's not her fault. I do write a little quickly. Uh, so now I have these four illustrations and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do it now. A prequel novel. I was originally going to do a prequel, like, trilogy and I'm like that's too much too much too without the, the characters all together like they are in the series so and then i'm going to do a uh, trilogy set after the original series that will uh there's a whole mystery with the sword that she has a magic sword and uh also possibly it'll be a wedding working up to a wedding trilogy so i'm gonna try to make both the prequel and the trilogy the first, you know, kind of stand alone as a possible entry point to the series. So we'll see how that, how well that works. We've a uh, <laughs> spinoff series. It's always hard because there's so much backstory for the characters at that point. But, um, this is the series that like my fans really seem to enjoy it and I really enjoy writing it, but it hasn't sold as well as I'd hoped. So I'm hoping that by having a couple possibly entry points, they could you know, make people enjoy the series, <laughs> make them, you will have to enjoy the series, guys. If they do enjoy the series, the, like the entry points that they read that they can check out the other uh, six book series. So that is it for now. I am possibly also starting to think of a sci-fi series for 2021. If I were smart, I'd go back to the money, which has been kind of epic fantasy for me. But for living in this new dystopian world, for some reason, is uh, inspiring me more in the future sci-fi direction. Really weird. I don't know why. But um, <laughs> Joe, do you want to do news and take over for the interview? Sure. Um, I have had a really very unproductive couple of days, uh, uh, but Free Wrench 6 has been revised. Um, except for the epilogue. It's, it's that beta readers now. I do the epilogue after I get it back from the beta readers because it's an easy way to tie up any loose ends that might otherwise, you know, I might have missed. So I'll wait, I usually wait until the end before that. I am currently working on short stuff as a breather until they get back to me with their notes. And then after that, it's going to be Big Sigma 6. And I don't know what comes after Big Sigma 6, I don't have any plans going out that far. The year of six is almost is two thirds complete, um, but I will probably do books four and five of the urban fantasy just so that I have a complete story there because I don't want to leave it dangling, and that ought to fill out my year nicely. And then I guess I have to plan next year. But things are let's not let's not look too far ahead because I again spent an entire week just trying to think of what I should be doing and not actually doing it. So. Uh, uh, I will say that I had a list. I had a, a, a medical thriller on my list of possible shorts, and I removed it from that list because I am not interested in imagining that right now. It's it's, it's happening. I don't. I'm not a journalist, so I'll I'll, I'll make something up instead. But uh, so that's my news. So let's move into the the, the meat potatoes here. Uh, we'll start with some questions. I think Lindsay has the first question for Andrea. 
All right, I do. And I will say I did the same thing in my urban fantasy series. I had this backstory where there was going to be a virus that was involved with making some dragons sick. And I was like, this is now a bacterial infection because I'm not doing anything with a virus, but I still needed to kind of do all the same things. So bacteria, thank you for being there for me. All right, moving into Andrea, who is the star of the show today. Uh, first couple of questions are for me and Joe, and then we've got a ton of listener questions. Thank you guys for sending those in through the Facebook group. So, Andrea, I, I know you're kind of working on some a book launch course right now, so why don't you tell us here in 2020, what does a book launch look like for you? I'm still stuck on meat and potatoes. <laughs> it's a substantial part. I'm hungry. <laughs> I mean, potato sounds great. Um, okay, so what does a launch look like for me right now in 2020? Um, I set up pre-orders. I brainstorm the book, outline, dictate, have problems with my baby's health, and push the pre-order deadline back a month, revise and edit, plan and execute a large family reunion, and push the pre-order deadline back again, <laughs> revise some more, and then release and almost forget to tell readers that the book is ready for downloading. <laughs> this is kind of the way my launches go a lot because I don't, I, I don't put a whole ton of focus on launches uh, just for myself because um, I found that while I can help my clients have successful launches just for me, I generally don't have enough time to, um, to plan them. It just takes too much time away from my family and books, um, writing future books where planning and executing something big is concerned. Um, and so what I do instead is I focus on making money once the book has seasoned a bit and the series isn't brand new. Um, my focus for launches usually includes getting as many reviews as possible the day before announce the day before I announced my list. And then I grab enthusiastic one-liners from those reviews and, um, so then on the day of, I'll tell the reader, my readers to go download my newsletter. I usually will, um, I'll have like a bit at the top that says my new book is out. I'll put the book cover, a brief description, and then I'll say what readers are saying so far. And then I'll put in those brief, um, you know, enthusiastic light one liners in there. Um, and then I tell my readers to go download and then I move on to the next book in the series. Again, it's because my time is so limited right now. Um, I don't run ads. Um, I don't do promotions. I don't work with websites and I sometimes don't even announce on Facebook. And it's just right now, um, I found that I can always make a book, um, earn money later on down the road. And I focus on doing that rather than making the book launch be successful. And honestly, that's how I've made my money is by doing that. That's been my go-to method since the very start. And I don't know why that works well for me and big launches don't work well for me, uh, but it works. And so I don't, I mean, I try every couple of years to see what will happen if I do a big launch, but usually takes me so long to recover time-wise from the time I put in that it's just not worth it. And so, I mean, I just, I have to pick and choose, you know, which things are more important and which things will, um, which things are worth sacrificing. So yes, that's how my launches look right now. (laughs) So do you find that, because I actually, one of the things I love about series is that I really only have to focus on launching book one. And I know you were kind of the same way you did a bigger launch for book one. What would you advise people? You mentioned just getting reviews being really important. Is there anything else for other people who are also super like stressed out right now and um, don't have a lot of time and maybe don't have, I mean, who has thousands of dollars to spend unless you're already doing this and already a six-figure author? Like uh, anything else that's sort of the 
just do this if you can only do one or two things kind of thing? Um, I mean, the go-to answer is usually write more books. If you're starting a new series, I'm, I always wait until, you know, I have more books out, like three, four books before I really push the first book. And my readers tend to hesitate when I, when I start a new series. And so they, and I think a lot of readers are this way. They've been burned too many times by authors who don't finish series. And so they'll wait until the series has a bunch of books in it before they download the first book anyway. And so I'm like doing a big launch is not always the best use of time. Um, depending on your philosophy and depending on your readers, if you don't have other books in the series. And so I'll do a big launch for like book three or the last book in the series where it's not a focus on that book, but a focus on the first book. And that's usually when I'll, I'll discount the first book for the first time and then, um, or for the first time since launch. And then I make that go big. I aim for book bubs and big promotions and websites and all that and Facebook ads and things like that. All right. I'm glad that big launches are not necessary because I've done both and not excelled with them. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, there are some reader questions that touch on this. We'll probably get to later, but something that you rely upon that I have very little aptitude for, I have zero aptitude for is dictation. I've tried multiple times and I can't dictate uh, fluidly. I'm curious, not how you dictate fluidly, because obviously it would come with practice. I'm curious how much post-processing does a dictated file take to become a finished draft? And does dictation tend to introduce different sorts of typos than typing does? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. Listeners can tell I tend to stutter a bit when I'm trying to think my way through things. And so I've never been a smooth, I'm not a smooth talker, guys. <laughs> I can't smooth talk my way through anything. Um, and I don't generally, I'm not an on the fly type person. Like if I'm having an argument, it'll take me a full day to come up with what I should have said. And so that affects my dictating as well. But if I know where I'm going, if I have an outline that's good, that generally helps me. And then I have, um, I have a reader who a trusted volunteer who basically goes through my books after I dictate to clean up any stutterings. And it'll be like, she said, she said, and she'll remove the duplicates because that happens while I'm trying to think of the next thing to say. And, you know, she removes those things and I pay her $50 for a full length manuscript. Uh, and she absolutely loves it because she's, and because she's written everything or read everything I've written, she's able to find things I miss like character names and locations and, magic systems, things like that. Um, it's weird that readers remember those things better than the authors do, but it's seriously, that's how it is. I don't remember. And she's read everything I've written and she remembers better than I do. It's so weird. Um, but post dating, um, post dictating rough drafts are, and, and listeners, they can probably tell that I've, I've written out my answers ahead of time because post dating is not something you would say when you're trying to think of what to say. Um, it just, it helps me know where I'm going, but um, post-dating or post-dictating rough traps are very different for me than the typed ones were. Um, they're rougher and therefore require more work to polish. Uh, that being said, I'm able, to, I'm able to dictate a full book in 10 or so days, which, you know, is pretty awesome. And then revisions themselves take about 20 days. And that includes two, two run-throughs. The first one where I do the full revisions. And then the second one where I have a program read the, read the book out loud to me while I follow along in the manuscript. And then I make things. And at that point, that version of the, of the, of the, uh, book is usually fairly clean. I'm only making changes, little changes here and there. Um, um, but because of my kids, I don't have a lot of opportunities to actually sit at a computer. And so even if I were 
typing my books now, it would take so much long, so much longer. I mean, it, before in the past, it would take me about three weeks to write a full length book and then about 20 days or so to revise it. But I don't have that sort of at computer time anymore that I used to have. And so dictating has really saved me a whole lot. Um, and then of course the extra revisions are worth the time I saved getting the story on paper and, um, about dictated typos. <laughs> they're, so, they're so much fun. They're so different from typewritten typos. Um, I, I put a couple examples here. Uh, so for example, in my book, it said, I remembered that Mr. and Mrs. Russell didn't need protection. They were colons, not helpless elderly people, colons. So um, a colon is how my uh, my transcription, how Dragon understood the word croent, which is a monster in my series. And so every time I said croent, it translated as colon. <laughs> so I had a lot of colons in my book. And my... my um, volunteer reader love that she was she kept sending these to me and she'd be like i'm dying over here um another example we licked the car doors instead of we locked the car doors <laughs> i mean maybe my characters like doing maybe they're superstitious i don't know um and then lots of things about human waste instead of waste the part of the body you know so for example um he put his hands on my waist <laughs> Uh, he put his hands on my bodily functional, you know, <laughs> on my bowel movements. So those are the kinds of typos that we come across. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I, and here's the best part. If that was me, those would go sailing right by me. They'd be in the finished product <laughs> if I didn't get sent to somebody else. But uh, just one, one, one quick follow-up. I assume, like, do you speak the quotation marks and all of the, the punctuation the way you do it? Or does it, like, you just leave it out and fill that in in a revision? Um, dragon has a, has a setting where it will put in commas where it thinks a comment should go. And it don't, don't do that. Absolutely do not do it because it, it's like the stupidest setting in the world. Um, it, until I figured out that that was what I was doing, my editor was like, you're having a lot more comma problems lately. <laughs> so once I, unre I removed that setting, then it was no longer an issue, but yeah, you have to actually say, open quote and period close quote i mean but your fingers type that automatically and you'll get to the point where your voice it just your it just says it and so sometimes i'll be talking to my kids and i'll be i'll say period close quote and things like that to them and it just happens automatically i don't even think about it your kids ever go into the public school system their teachers can be like i don't understand why they do this on their papers or when they're <laughs> answering questions in class they keep putting in quotation marks no, one of my kids, uh, uh, my oldest, I almost said her name. We don't give names in public, but um, she she was obviously listening to me dictating once because she got into the baby's room and over the monitor said to me, mom, period, you have to come now, period, right now, period. The baby wants you, period. And I'm like, you don't even know what a period is. <laughs> so it just, it's like, yep, she's listening to me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, at least they'll be good when they're uh, doing <laughs> writing for grammar things so get that punctuation right yes i have to say you're not making me want to try dictation this sounds like autocorrect and everything that drives me nuts about autocorrect so for those who love it good i think i'll probably stay with typing um so i know that you've tinkered with and changed covers for your series uh have you done like a full relaunch and what did you do what did that look like for you 
Um, yeah, so I've done a full uh, hard relaunch on one series and then a bunch of soft relaunches on other books and series. Um, a hard relaunch, for those listening who don't know, is where you uh, switch out a bunch of things and then release as new ASINs. And a soft relaunch is where you keep the ASINs but change something else about the book. Um, and so for my Kalenia Chronicles, I did a hard relaunch. I changed the covers, I changed the content, I basically made it for a slightly older audience, which is something I wanted to do when I was a publisher and they said no. Um, I changed the descriptions and I changed the title for the first book in the series. Um, the relaunch went well, ultimately, despite changing covers halfway through the relaunch, um, in the first month or so royalties exceeded what they'd made on that series in the previous seven years. So that was really awesome. It, um, let's see. So then soft launches are, are something I focus on where I focus on changes like, like a book cover or uh, changing the description. Um, let's see what else is there. Uh, changing titles, changing series names, things like that. And then for those, I, I will make those changes and then I will focus on drawing attention to books with ads and promotional websites and just having a big launch, a big promotional e um, event or something just to get reader attention for those. And that, yeah, that answered your question, right? <laughs> yeah. I am curious since I have never done this, a, a relaunch where you actually change the ASINs. Um, I feel like on the one hand, that's a whole new release as far as Amazon's concerned. So you maybe get some more boost of possibly it's a brand new book without a history of like no sales or anything, but it also then it's like, are you gaming the system or like how much do you think needs to change for you to justify making basically a whole new book on Amazon? Um, I think it's a, a great way to get a restart. So like if you launch a series that is not properly edited and a lot of your reviews comment on edits and things like that, then that's going to end up hurting you in the long run for this series. Uh, because the content changed, I did make it from, for middle grade from a middle grade series to a young adult series. And, and, and it involved more serious content. I didn't want it to be connected to the original series for, um, just for readers sake. So if kids came across that book. I'm like, I don't know. I want parents to recognize that this series has changed. And so it does give you a boost and things like that. But I mean, gaming the system, it's not gaming the system. If I mean, cause you're starting over from scratch, it doesn't have set algorithms or set also bots in place, things like that, that generally offer benefit in the long run. And if you keep redoing things, then you're just erasing all of your history with that book, which can be good if you've done things right. But if you've done things wrong, you know, could be good if you've done things poorly, but if you've been doing things right, then it's not usually an issue. <laughs> right. Cause you do you lose your reviews and everything. So it's a chance to start over if nothing was going right anyway. <laughs> yeah. But if uh, you did have good reviews and also bots, then you probably won't. And if, you, if there's any potential of confusing the reader too, mm -hmm. like they already bought it and then you don't want them to buy it again and they'd be angry with you. Yeah. And you can actually get your reviews moved over. Amazon is willing to do that, but I'll I answer that as a question in the future, in the future. <laughs> so, well, let's move toward the future. Uh, I got a question here where you've spoken in the past, you've done some physical merchandise, uh, which I also have done, uh, and you've had a reasonable degree of success. Uh, how did you handle shipping and fulfillment and such efficiently? So, um, my merchandising, I'm, I'm lazy. <laughs> yeah, I hate going to the post office. I hate mailing books and checking mail and things like that. Uh, so my physical merchandise was mainly for like when I was selling in Costco and things like that and doing book signings and things like that. Um, and so I did that, did them mostly at in-person events and I don't do a whole lot of that anymore. 
Um, the keys from my clinic chronicles were really popular. I usually out, sold out of them even before selling out of the books. Um, my husband designed and created them. So they were completely unique and people who didn't read would buy them and wear them. So like I'd have people at Costco be like, well, I don't read books, but I like your key there. And so they'd buy the key. Um, and they were, yeah, cause they were completely unique. And so they only cost us around like 20 cents to make because we did it all in home using stuff from Hobby Lobby. Um, and we found that charging about $5 for those was best. Otherwise people wouldn't buy them, which is really weird because if they're, char- if we charge less, people wouldn't buy them. And if we charge more, people wouldn't buy them. But $5 was like the sweet spot. Um, I sell them for my blog, but I don't talk about them very much because, uh, see above comment about being lazy. <laughs> so when people do find them and buy them, it's not a big deal to package them up and ship them. All right. Well, that's good because uh, I also uh, quickly discovered shipping was one of the more troublesome aspects of, of any sort of thing like that. But uh, uh, so, okay, that's the questions that we ask. It's time to get into the listener questions. We have quite a few. Uh, the first one is from Alina. Uh, I don't know how much she will want to talk about this, but she's mentioned having some chronic health problems. And I'd be interested in hearing strategies she uses for maintaining a doable level of activity while taking care of her health. It seems like it's a really, e- it's really easy to overdo things as a full-time writer. Um, no, it's not easy. It's not easy to overdo things at all. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so it's, yeah, there's a huge, uh, risk for overwhelming yourself and taking off more than you can handle. Um, but anyone who's known me for a few years or no, uh, or, or a few years or more, um, we'll know that I've had some really, really weird health issues. Uh, an ongoing problem that started while I was pregnant with my four-year-old landed me in the hospital six times, gave me my first ambulance ride, put me through 12 rounds of antibiotics and required four emergency surgeries. The first of which was done without painkillers of any kind. Um, I came out of surgery as a really fast surgery and it was excruciatingly painful. And they're like, we didn't have time to figure out which which painkillers you could take because you're pregnant. And so they wouldn't let my husband even come back to see me for about two and a half to three hours until they got the pain under control. And it was, yeah. Anyway, that pregnancy was horrible, but I still managed to write four books, uh, even with everything going on. Um, and basically how I did it was I stopped literally everything that wasn't required to sustain life. My house was messier than usual. I fell back on the same crock pot recipes day in and day out. Um, I had neighbor kids come and help with my daughter uh, twice a week for a couple of hours while I wrote. Um, I removed every distraction that might have given me excuse for not writing. And then, and basically like you guys, like a lot of our listeners, I took my business and my goals seriously and I did not allow, I did not allow for distractions. And honestly, writing was the best escape possible from all of the health problems I was having. Um, and things are better now. I still have lingering effects from that, that one incident. And then I, I've got other health issues that I'm dealing with, you know, a couple I've been dealing with my whole life. Um, and I, um, like I said, things are easier now, but I do still have three kids and that I homeschool and house to run. Plus, yeah, like I said, the lingering health issues and the two biggest things I do for my health is to make sure I get eight hours of sleep a night and to keep my weight in check. Um, two of my chronic issues are much, much worse when I'm overweight. And then one of them is about 5 billion times worse when I'm sleep deprived. And so I don't have a whole lot of time to tackle more than one thing at a time. And so after each of my pregnancies, you know, because you gain weight when you're pregnant, Joe, I don't know if you know that, but women gain weight when they're pregnant. (laughs) I just gain weight always. It's my policy. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, um, 
after each of my pregnancies, I alternate focusing on diet and then exercise. I usually diet, uh, focus on my diet until my weight is down. And then I exercise to build muscle and to help keep the weight down. And then, I mean, one of my issues is called um, hypermobility syndrome. It just basically means that my joints are super flexible and I can do weird things with them. Um, it also means I get injured very easily. I've had five knee surgeries and um, I've just like I've sprained my ankle. I sprained my ankles really easily. And they're like the sprains where you can't walk for weeks. And so I have to be really careful with exercise and make sure that I'm doing it properly and make sure I have enough muscle to support the joints so they don't dislocate. Um, and then, uh, the weight, yeah, being overweight, it leads to a lot of, a lot of joint pain. Um, and so, and then also just, I mean, ways that I I've used to deal with my my health issues, um, and stress and everything. I'm, I'm a religious person. I found that all the benefits of having religion help me keep, um, my stress down. And then I'm also able to turn to like neighbors and, and members of my faith for support. Um, but sleep is the hardest issue. Like a lot of the time like listening to podcasts, people are like, yeah, I just wake up at four in the morning and write. I get five hours of sleep a night. I stay up till three and write. And I'm like, that doesn't work for me. I cannot do that. I learned in college, um, if I did not get nine hours of sleep every night, going to bed around the same time of, um, every single night that it didn't matter what else I did, like studying everything I would fall apart and I would be super sick. I would miss work and school. And, and it's still that way. It's just not worth it to me to, to give up sleep to write. And, um, yes. Did you hear that? Books and success are not worth it to me. <laughs> Anything that keeps me from being happy and living a satisfied life is not worth it. And so sleep, I just, I sleep. I mean, I make sure I get enough sleep. I go to bed at a not always decent hour, but I make sure I sleep at least eight hours every night. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that too. I used to, as it, when I was younger, I could get away with more with the less sleep. And I think too, when you get older, you stop sleeping very well. So you're just like, well, I might as well do something. I'm just up all night anyway. But um, that's kind of my mom. She's like, well, I slept three hours last night. That's more than usual. So, uh oh, got a dog alert. I'll just take the next question then. Uh, Laura asks, how do you manage kids and writing? Do you have an external editor still? Um, yes, I still have an editor. She's absolutely awesome. She's wonderful. Um, but oh, gosh, yes. Uh, managing kids and writing, <laughs> um, it's impossible to maintain a healthy balance between all of the things that are required of, and that's in quotations required of us every day, especially as moms. Um, I mean, I thought I was really stressed in college. It's a different stress. Every life season presents a, t a totally different type of stress. Um, but being a mom to young kids is a physical stress that I've never experienced before where sleep doesn't happen and where, you know, I can't sleep in because I have a baby that wakes up and he screams in his crib if I'm trying to sleep. And, um, anyway, so I make sure that I maintain, um, okay. So it's impossible to maintain a healthy balance between all the things that are required of us. But I do make sure to focus on the very most important things first and then alternate through the others as needed. So for example, I feed my kids every day. <laughs> That's something I've decided is very important. Um, I homeschool and then I, if I'm in the middle of a, of a writing project, I, I focus on my main writing project next after I feed my kids and homeschool. Um, I use crock pots a ton. I think I've mentioned that. Um, I have a teenage girl come clean for about four hours every other week. Um, and when I couldn't afford her, I set up a schedule where I did as much as I could in and around my projects. Um, but that was not a perfect system because I really, really struggle with things that require, require daily maintenance. And I am working on that, but it's going to be a, a lifelong struggle for me. Um, 
Um, but because of that, I, I simplify everything as much as I can and do everything in batches like laundry, dishes, dinner, et cetera. My husband helps out. Luckily, I'm very lucky to have a, um, a man who is, I am lucky to have a man who is, uh, willing to help cook and clean and things like that. Um, I do the majority of it, but he does pick up when I can't. And then I do have an assistant who helps out here and there now too. And Lindsay has imprisoned the dogs. <laughs> It's pouring out. I was like, there won't be anything for them to bark at outside, but UPS came. So, <laughs> all right. Did you answer Laura's question fully? Yep, I did. Okay. You still have an editor? I do have an editor. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Kaylee asked, what's the bare minimum for keeping an indie author career afloat? If due to family circumstances or illness, an author has to cut back on all the extra things, what are the most important ones that need to be done? This question, oh my gosh, this has been on my mind so much lately and not because I read the question, but because this is where I am right now. I am in, I am in survival mode. I'm in panic mode, except I've, I've cut everything else, everything out. And I'm actually handling the stress really well right now because I've finally said, you know what? I cannot do X, 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 Y, 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 Z, 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 Z. And so I'm just going to focus on what I can do. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I don't know, once our baby started eating solid foods and we found that he had so many allergies, I mean, he's allergic to pretty much everything. It, actually, it's more food intolerances because he has gotten a little bit better, thank goodness, but not true allergies, no EpiPens or anything like that. But so since he started eating, um, I've cut out everything since he started eating, <laughs> since he started eating solid foods, <laughs> I've cut out everything extraneous. And the only things I do are things that actually make me happy or that only require a tiny bit of effort. So this podcast, for example, guarantees me contact with the outside world on a regular basis. Hi, Lindsay and Joe, you're in the outside world. <laughs> and so, um, and so I make sure to set aside time every week to prepare. Um, that time does not fall on the same day or hour as Joe and Lindsay can attest. They'll be like, I haven't heard from Andrew in a while. And I'll be like, ah, guys, I'm still, I'm still here. I'm just a little bit behind. Some days I'm ahead of time and I'm able to work on things. And other times it's like, right, like today, it was right before we started recording that I finished going through the questions. Um, I email my readers every week because I've learned from very hard experience that taking a break damages my royalties way too much and getting things going again is close to impossible and takes months and months and months. And honestly, it's just not worth it to stop to take a break from emailing my newsletter. Um, I haven't responded to nearly any email though in well over three months, um, which makes me feel really bad. But I finally was like, I can't do it. I just, I just can't, I can't wrap my, wrap my brain around opening my email and answering emails. And so I said, I just let go of it. I, I just let, allowed myself and gave myself permission to not worry about it anymore. Um, and I let them know I will um, get their responses eventually in every single email I send to them. And they've been so patient and so understanding. And it's hard to keep up on important emails. Um, but I'm hoping I've caught most of them. Um, I do. And I, I refuse to let my assistant get, and I refuse to let anybody touch my email, but me, um, I have my assistant, my assistant set up my newsletter. So all I have to do is go in and write them and then hit send. Um, I don't have her doing hardly anything else right now, though, because even passing projects off, off to her causes me to panic, just, just thinking about needing to explain it and um, anything, doing the project myself or having her do it, just I, it's just too much. Um, I have three Facebook ads going to a separate book that I created over two separate books. Each of them goes to a different book. Um, I created those ads over a year ago and they still actually perform well. And so those keep traffic going to my books so that I don't lose, um, momentum, basically lose ranking. 
And then I work on the current book project, excuse me, whatever that might be. So that could be brainstorming, outlining, writing, or revising. And then I make sure I do a little bit of that every single week. Not not every day though, because my day-to-day schedules have too much variation in them for that sort of organization. But um, if I make sure to do book work every single week, I almost always have something to tell my readers about in my weekly email. And that helps quite a bit. Um, let's see, I'm doing my best to give myself time off to keep from burning out. So if something sounds fun or enjoyable, like starting a gaming channel on YouTube (laughs) for a random game, my husband introduced me to it's just this mobile game, you know, for my phone. And it just really has been fun. And I've got a very rabid following over there now. And it's been really exciting. But if something sounds fun or enjoyable, I give myself permission to do it. Um, mainly because I'm really strict with myself and I don't allow for a lot of downtime. Um, and that's good and bad, good because I'm productive, but bad because it can lead to a lot of stress. I don't get on Facebook. I don't watch TV shows. Um, I don't do, I don't check messenger hardly ever. So it's just, I, you have to figure out what is most important for you and then cut anything else. And what's most important, important for you is not going to be the same as what's most important for every, everyone else or anyone else. So don't let people guilt you into thinking you need to do something. Um, I, let's see when I first started writing my, my readers every single week. Um, and then I burned out from that about, I don't know, it was like two years later, my royalties went up while I was emailing every week. And then when I stopped, they, um, dropped down and I stopped and I felt really guilty for stopping because everybody's like, don't ever stop emailing your readers, but, um, stopping emailing them did cause problems. And so that's something that I found for myself is not worth cutting out. Like I said already. So I would, I would recommend considering not cutting emailing, staying in contact with your readers because it helps. It's just too hard to come back up from that. Anyway. So yeah, so just that, and then keeping traffic going to my books through those passive Facebook ads and making sure to put in some writing every single week. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I'm going to talk for a minute so you can catch your breath because you're, you. <laughs> you're talking really fast. And I do the same thing too. When I have like a lot of information that I want to get out. Uh, it, was, it was funny. I talked to Jay Thorne at his conference this weekend. He's like, you guys, this podcast, I don't listen to it like 1.5 speed. Like, I guess he does for most <laughs> like, no, we'll just talk really fast. So you don't have to. <laughs> hey, but we get the information across. <laughs> That's right. And I just wanted to say to Kaylee too, that, um, you kind of need to figure out which things that you do bring in the most money. Like Andrea said that her royalties go up when she emails everyone every week. And I actually am on the opposite end where I've made the decision. I'm only going to email for new releases. I don't even have an autoresponder sequence just because I get a lot of email back every time I send out a newsletter. And that's a lot of time because I also feel I want to answer those myself. Um, not have an assistant do it. So that that's just, you know, something you can decide for it after a while, after this has been in your career, you'll kind of figure out what really helps and what is like a time sink without actually bringing in money. And, you know, also it takes time to build a career. Like it's okay. Just try to make a little progress each day if you can. And it, it, you know, after five years, even if you're not a super fast writer, maybe you've got three or four books out and then you can promote those. And there's a lot of things you can do once you have a larger backlist. Uh, Joe, did you want to ask the next, next question since I randomly stuck myself in there? Sure. Uh, next question is from Hannah who says, I'm a mom of three. And first of all, I'm always impressed that she has time to do the podcast, let alone write. Thank you, Andrea. I'd love to know if she has a daily schedule or just wings it. How much work does she get done in a week? And what does she prioritize when time gets short? 
And I, I've been accused several times of being a fast talker, but when people don't talk fast, I'm like, you're going so slow. <laughs> so my brain just operates at, at a faster speed um, when I'm talking. Um, okay. So when I'm not in, I apologize. I will try to go slower, but they can listen at slower speeds too. Right. So <laughs> I should be able to listen fast. You're doing fine. I didn't want you to make it. I just wanted to, you look like you needed some air. So that way, that's why I wanted to jump in for a minute. <laughs> I definitely needed a drink. So I appreciate that. Um, okay. So when I'm not in the middle of a big book project, um, I put my focus on homeschool and spending time with my kids. And that's, those are the most important things to me. Um, that way when I'm under a time crunch, I don't feel guilty for skipping homeschool or spending time with time with my kids. And kids understand, honestly, the one, one of the biggest and most important things my mother taught me was that parents need to have hobbies and time outside of their kids. And if they make their kids, their hobbies, then it's teaching their children that they basically, I don't know, like, okay, this is going to probably ruffle some feathers, but making your kids be number one all the time creates an enabled, you know, I mean, it, it causes for kids who feel like they should always be number one. And I don't think kids should always be number one. Um, and so I put them first, their education first, and I put them first, except when I have something big come up. And so, and they understand that they're very independent and they, they, it hasn't caused any problems with them. Um, but when I'm, so my daily schedule, when I'm not under a big time crunch goes something like this. So I sleep until the kids wake up because of my Epstein bar. Um, I feed them breakfast. I put the baby down for a nap. And by the way, meals take about an hour to an hour and a half because kids eat so slow. <laughs> Our baby, you have to put the food in his mouth one spoonful at a time. It just takes a long time. Um, and so I put him down for a nap. Then I do homeschool and homeschool only takes about an hour, which is one reason I absolutely love it. Um, if I need to shower, I do that next. And I don't shower every day, guys, you guys probably think that's disgusting, but I shower every other day. Um, then the baby's awake and it's lunchtime. Um, and then after the kids are fed, it's usually, like I said, an hour and a half, um, to feeding them. Then I turn them loose either to play in the backyard or to watch a movie. And then I get my first book of the book work of the day in with frequent interruptions until the baby goes down for his second nap, which is usually around two. Um, and then I do more book stuff until my husband gets home from work and it, and he gets home around three. And at that point, everything goes out the window. Cause I'm always like, it's a, it's an adult, it's a person, it's a man. I love you. <laughs> Hi, how are you? And then, and then, yeah. <laughs> um, if I'm under a time crunch, I eliminate formal homeschool almost entirely and work on books around food and nap times. So the kids will watch homeschool pop, which for those parents out there, if you've not heard of it, it's awesome. It's a YouTube channel that actually, I mean, my kids learn so much from it. And so I don't feel guilty letting them watch a couple homeschool pop episodes. Um, or when my husband gets home from work, he'll do a project with them. And, um, not right now I don't do this, but generally I'll go to the store. Um, and it has a lounge in it and I work there. Um, and, um, sometimes I also have a neighbor girl come over for about $5 an hour to help out and she's 11. So $5 an hour makes her feel super rich. Um, when coronavirus is not, or when coronavirus is happening, I haven't been going to the store, but things have also been just crazy in general right now with our baby. And so my work schedule is super different right now. Um, but the above is pretty much applicable, you know, the homeschool, the nap time shower, all that stuff. Um, the biggest thing with being a mom and a writer though, is to give yourself and your kids grace and to be patient. It is impossible to get everything done. Uh, if the kids are fed and happy, um, those are the two biggest things, fed, happy, and homeschool. 
Those are the three biggest things <laughs> I've had happy in homeschool. Um, if those are done and then one other thing, so like book work or laundry, or I've started dinner or I've completed a cleaning project, I call the day a success. And Lindsay's like, what the heck? <laughs> She's like, if I don't write five hours a day, it's not a successful day. <laughs> I'm just trying to read her facial expressions here. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even thinking of that at all. Oh, um, good. Your I dogs say, are busy. They keep you busy too, so. They make sure I get out of the house and get exercise, which otherwise I wouldn't really be leaving my house at all right now, you know, it's <laughs> like, because I'm not going into any other places. Um, but no, it's funny. I grew up in the 80s and uh, both my parents worked and that was super common. So you just came home from school and let yourself in and you had to like entertain yourself until I, I got picked up for carpool for swim team or, you know, you just had to do your homework or whatever. And it, it's funny. They were like, you are a latchkey kid. I'm <laughs> like, I think we all were in the 80s. That's just how it was. It's kind of a different world now, but it just seems like uh, a lot of times kids just always have someone there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously if they're five, <laughs> you're not going to just have them be <laughs> home by themselves. But, you know, but I think by the time I was eight or something, that was just, you came home from school and, you know, watch some cartoons, do some homework, read. I was an only child too. So I had to learn how to entertain myself. Yeah. I don't generally, you know, make the baby, um, <laughs> just entertain himself or anything. Actually he does entertain himself now, but if the older, older two kids are playing with friends, he'll crawl around the whole house and yell, da, da, da. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> um, but my whole, my whole goal here is for like listeners, you know, the listeners who are in similar, similar situations is just to help you understand that having um, realistic expectations is important. Um, it's almost impossible to get any book work done when you have a baby or when you're interrupted every five minutes. Um, and then like I was saying, I can't get up early in the morning to write and I can't stay up late to write. So patience is really, really important. Lots and lots of it. And then also understanding and recognizing that this is our current season of life. Our kids are not going to be little forever and that's bittersweet. So right now they require a lot of physical time and physical tension from me, but they all, they won't always. And so I do my best to enjoy them while recognizing that things will ease up a little bit later and people at that point, they're like, it never gets easier. It does. I, I mean, once my kid, youngest kid is about 18 months old, I have time again to focus on other things and it's, and it's good. So, yeah. All right. Well, our next question, we got all the mom, the questions from the moms for you since Joe and I are like, what are kids? Are they like dogs or <laughs> they're not as furry? I don't know. So um, next question from Amity is I'm also a mom of four. The youngest is six months and I'm starting my career, releasing my second book next month. I'm exhausted and overwhelmed as much as I am exhilarated. There's so much to do and learn and COVID has banished the babysitters. Andrea, what is your advice for triage? What would you learn slash do versus farm out and what order if you're in what order if you were launching your career today with the family you have now and i just realized i didn't fully answer answer the 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 farm out um I would say if I were launching my career today, I actually wouldn't farm out a whole lot. Um, I would focus on a few things and I would tell myself to stop worrying about anything but those things. And those are writing and taking care of my family and listening to a ton of podcasts. That was a huge, huge help for me when I first started writing. Um, there are lots and lots of really awesome ones out there, even ones that are no longer active. Um, so formal learning like classes and sitting down and researching on the internet it takes time and energy, but passive learning is easy to do while you're feeding kids or loading the dishwasher, folding laundry, et cetera. You'll, so you'll soak up so much information and knowledge that way. 
Um, I recommend you start at the beginning of shows and listen through to the end and do it at, except for our podcast, apparently <laughs> do it at 1.4 or 1.5 speed. Um, if you go much faster than that, you don't actually soak things in uh, as a beginner. For those of us who've been doing this for a while, that's, you know, faster than that is fine because we've already heard a lot of this stuff already. But as beginners, you'll want to do it a little bit above average speed or regular speed if you want to. Um, when I started out, I really wished I'd done them at at least 1.3 speed because it did take me so long to get through all of the podcast episodes. And I was listening to like, like Simon Whistler's episodes. I was listening to like three or four of those every day while I was exercising and doing, doing stuff on the computer or not computer doing stuff around the house. Um, but right now as a new writer, um, you're, it's just, it's a good time for you to focus on writing actual writing and getting caught up in the knowledge area of stuff. Um, um, as long as you're doing something book related every week, I wouldn't let things discourage you. I wouldn't let the fact that you're not doing it all day, every day discourage you. Um, and, um, not to be insensitive, this is just something that's actually factually true. You, you're not likely to make a whole ton of money on just one or two books anyway. So I would take advantage of your anonymity by learning as much as you can while you can before people discover you. Cause that's the best time, honestly, to make mistakes and to figure out where you're going and what you want to do. Um, and then once your little baby is a year and a half old or so, you'll be in a good position to really dig in. And, and you probably know that from your other three kids. Um, yeah, that's just when things start to, to ease up a bit. All right. Uh, next question is from Maureen who asks, how and when does she dictate and what does she use? I'm looking for ideas. Okay. So I dictate in 10 minute batches. Um, I used to do 20 minutes, but I almost never have 20 minutes of free time in a row anymore. Um, but luckily 10 minutes gives me around 500 to a thousand words, which is not insignificant. Um, I will tell my kids I'm going upstairs to talk my books. That was, that's what my seven year old says. And she says, you're going to talk your books. And yep, I talk my books. Um, I sit on my bed to do it or I'll pace in my bedroom depending on my energy levels. And I keep my outline right there next to me along with a notepad to take um, note of where I left off. So I don't waste time trying to remember things I used to do in the basement, but, um, the basement does not have a super comfortable place for dictating and my bed's really comfortable to sit on. <laughs> I've got a purple mattress and I love it. Um, and it's also a bigger room than my office, which is why I dictate there instead of in my office. Um, as for equipment, I use Dragon Naturally Speaking version 15 to transcribe my recordings. Um, I used to use a lapel mic, but it went bad. And so now I hold my digital recorder instead. And honestly, I don't miss using the lapel mic. Um, because in the beginning I used to like play with hand, you know, handheld things. And now I don't really need to, cause I'm able to focus while I've just been doing it long enough. I can focus better. Um, and then for the digital recorder, I use the Sony and I'm going to read this off. I use the Sony ICD PX333 digital voice recorder. <laughs> I've had it since 2016 and it still works absolutely fantastically. And it was like 45 bucks, definitely worth it. Um, but yeah, so that's what I do with dictating. I had to make a note. I'll try to put that in the show notes. I was like, let me pull this and put asterisks around it so I see it later when I'm doing the show notes. All right. Kura asked, and we kind of already touched this with the relaunch stuff. So um, she says, when you re-released re 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 <laughs> one of your books under a new title, did that mean you had to sacrifice the reviews attached with the original title? And also, did you include a note on the copyright page saying something like, this work was previously released under title X? Um, I've included notes in my descriptions. So yes, uh, for any relaunch hard or soft that included content or name changes just to avoid 
um, confusing readers. Um, and then I leave those notes in the descriptions for a year or two, um, since readers don't always come across the books immediately. I've never had a negative review or comment from a reader who accidentally downloaded the wrong book. Um, and then for the series that I relaunched, that I mentioned earlier, I kept the series name relatively similar. So Kalenia Chronicles instead of Kalenia series that helped again with confusion. Um, the first book got a new title. Like I said, it went from the key of Kalenia to forsaken Prince, but the rest of the title titles were pretty much the same removing the from them here and there. Um, and yes, I lost all the reviews on my first book and the box sets, but if you keep the same title, you can actually email, email Amazon and they'll move, remove the reviews over, even if it is a new ASIN. So I had them do that with books two through six of my series because those books didn't change very much. Um, and they weren't willing to do it for book one because I had a new title and that worked totally fine. That was actually, it was, it was, um, Okay. So it was a little bit of annoying because I was like those reviews, but then again, the book content did change. It went from a middle grade book to a young adult book. And so the reviews weren't applicable anymore. And so, I mean, if you're relaunching and you don't want to lose those reviews, I would, I don't know. I don't generally advise people to relaunch if they have a whole lot of really good reviews, unless they're, they're actually wanting to do what I did. And that is like change the content. If you're changing content significantly, um, like changing it a different um, audience or a different age group, bracket, whatever, like I did, then it might be a good idea anyway to get rid of your reviews or to lose them anyway. Um, and if you don't need to lose your reviews, if your reviews don't mention editing errors and things like that, then I wouldn't, I mean, you don't necessarily even need to relaunch as new books. All right. Uh, next question is from Letty who says all the above mom questions. And <laughs> you mentioned reader bonuses to get readers to buy your book when it's released and not wait. Could you explain more about that? And what do you give away how, how long, what works best, et cetera. Um, okay. So Lindsay did mention, I, I just released a course on launching and relaunching and it goes over all this in great detail. Um, I still haven't decided how much I'm going to charge for it, probably $25. And then I'll probably do a discount, which I still need to set up the discount cord code, <laughs> which we're supposed to tell people about in this episode. So at the end, Lindsay, remind me to, um, to, uh, have a, a, a discount code available by the end of this episode. <laughs> okay. Um, do it while you're talking. You can handle it. I'm sure it's really easy just to set up while you're ram while I'm talking. Okay. Answering guys. the question. All right. <laughs> answering the question. Oops. Okay. There's my password on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, in short, I'll sit and brainstorm things that my readers might want. Um, I ask them for suggestions and feedback. And a lot of the time they, I mean, sometimes they come up with really good ideas and other times they're like a free novel. Uh, a free paperback. Um, can I get a hardback copy? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you can't get a free paperback when you download an ebook. <laughs> um, but they do come up with some pretty good ideas. And, um, and I make, I do my best to make sure it's as simple and as painless as possible for both me and for them. Um, because you don't want to make it super complicated because, um, readers aren't likely to follow through on the download bonuses that it discourages them. Even if it's free stuff, it's, it can discourage them. And then of course you want it to be as simple and painless as possible for you. Um, the thing that is almost always the most effective for me, honestly, is something new I've written. Um, but other stuff it has been great as well. So you'll, uh, like I said, you'll want to make sure the bonuses are digital because physical is a pain. And I never recommend anyone do that. Uh, I do have friends that have tried it and I'm like, I just like my life too much to, you know, be going to the mailbox or to the post office every, uh, that much. Yeah. 
Anyway, as for how long, um, usually no longer than a week and no shorter than three or four days. I like giving people five to seven days. Uh, if it goes longer than that, I make sure it starts on a Wednesday, which is when I email my readers. And then I have it end of the following Saturday. So that way I can e email them the first Wednesday when it first is open and then the following Wednesday. And then again on Friday, um, as a reminder, Hey, this expires tomorrow, uh, three emails when two of them, uh, are your regular email works really, really nicely, but you want to make sure it's at least three or four days because a lot of people won't even open their emails and then they procrastinate a bit and you'll want to have time to send a reminder email at least once. Um, let's see. You want to make sure to create a sense of urgency through that time limit. Um, yeah, uh, because people respond better when there's a deadline. You can put a download bonus in the back of the book. The problem with that is it's not a permanent place. And this had happened to me. I decided to experiment this on this and, um, Amazon pushed down an update on that book and the book, the link got lost because I up. Okay. So the book with the link at the end of it was published for five days. And then I uploaded an updated version that no longer had that link in it. And some of the readers didn't actually download their bonuses before Amazon pushed through an update and they lost that link. And that was just a big, um, administrative issue I, or administrative tragedy error problem. <laughs> What's the word I'm thinking of? I don't know. I'll just keep going. <laughs> um, so it is really, just really frustrating because I've had big content changes and they wouldn't push an update through, but I removed a link and they did. I'm like, you guys are really annoying. Um, so what I usually do instead is, um, <laughs> Lindsay. Yeah, I can't say that on air. <laughs> um, she just put some, a comment in the... It's the word you wanted, though. Just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty darn close. Um, anyway, so what I usually do instead is have them have readers hoard proof of purchase to a dummy Gmail account that I've connected to Zapier, and then Zapier will send them an automatic response uh, using that Gmail account. And I go over that in big detail in the... Um, course, the relaunching and launching course. Um, and that response email is a link to their download bonuses. And that's, that's been very, very beneficial. Yeah, I would definitely say digital anything is going to be a lot better for delivering to fans. Um, then if you do want to do a paperback giveaway or something, you could just be like, I don't know, before Christmas, sometime in the year when you think you're going to have time. Because otherwise, if you have to just go every week to the post office, it gets to be, you know, like you were saying, that's a lot of extra time. And, you know, you're not really making any money from it. Um, but sometimes it's nice to do cool things to make the fans happy. But it doesn't have to be with every book launch. Uh, especially for those of us who launch a lot. And I will move us on to the next question from Anne. Do you have any specific advice for marketing YA? Um, yeah. So I would recommend you find and go over studies on who reads your specific YA genre the most and then target those readers. Um, from back when I was writing mostly YA and my, um, my flagship series is YA and they do pretty well, honestly. Um, I read a whole bunch of studies and I found that nine out of 10 times the readers who read um, YA are middle-aged adults. And so that makes marketing much easier because a lot of them are actually on Facebook. And so um, I target readers on Facebook through Facebook ads and they're usually in their forties and up. And I have, make sure that they read in similar books in the genre. Um, Facebook is still my favorite advertising platform. I, um, I use them extensively for, everything from YA to adult and occasionally middle grade, though I haven't had as much success there. 
Um, yeah. So let's see. Um, what you, what you'll want to do though, if you decide to go with Facebook is to tweak and tweak and tweak until you find what works, expect to spend probably $500 to maybe even a thousand dollars until you get it down. But honestly, guys, once you get it down, it is worth it. You will make that money back. Um, so there's a caveat there. Not every genre does well on Facebook. So you're, what you're going to want to do is, um, is go and find authors who write in your genre, traditionally published authors, like their pages, like um, do a search for pages that are devoted to your genre and like those pages. And then it takes a little while, but Amazon or not Amazon, Facebook will eventually start showing you ads from other authors that are targeting people who've liked those, those things. When that happens, just check out, see what they're doing. Um, interact with those ads, click on them, download the books, hit like, hit the read more button, continue reading, that sort of thing. That tells Facebook that the material is relevant to you. And then you'll be shown more ads in the future. Um, and then copy what those ads are doing. And like basically not just those ads, but watch and see which ads have a lot of engagement and then copy those and test that out and see what, what, um, which of those will work the best. And keep in mind, the image is usually the most important thing. Um, and it doesn't always have to be based on your cover, though that doesn't hurt. And then after that, of course, text will be the next most important thing. All right. Next up, Naomi uh, asks, what social media does she use and on, and on which does she feel most connected to her audience? Um, <laughs> see above comment about not going onto Facebook ever. Uh, I use Facebook the most and I haven't been on there like hardly at all, but I go on the other sites a lot less than that, but I've got a readers group and that's where a lot of my readers hang out and it's, and that's where I feel most connected to them. And yeah, I, I don't mind other social media accounts. I just can't keep up with them. Like I tried out Instagram for about six months and I really liked it, but it just, it was too much. And I already had most of my readers over on Facebook. And so there's no point in building up Instagram just to drop it. So yeah. All right. We've got just a few more questions left. Jordan asks, if you could interview any guest for your podcast, who is your dream get? Uh, this one, there is actually somebody and I've really, really wanted to get this guy on the show. And I reached out to him once and didn't ever hear back, which by the way, happens a lot. <laughs> Not this was not with people who know me, but with people who don't know me, you know, like it's just, it's called cold calling for a reason, you know, cold contacting. I, he'd never heard of me before, but anyway, so his story is absolutely awesome. Um, it's incredible. He, he, so basically when he first started his businesses and first started his life with his wife, etc., his lack of direction nearly made him and his family go homeless several times across several years. He borrowed money from his, his father-in-law over and over and over again until his father-in-law is like, you have, you have motivation, but you have no drive. Um, and so he hit rock bottom, turned his life around. And then he talks about, um, he talks about the difference between drive and motivation, how one has a lot of excitement and for projects, but it tends to fizzle out and you produce nothing while the other actually leads to success and tangible results. Um, he's now successful because he finally learned how to apply himself and his story. Uh, it was so incredibly motivating and I wish so much he could come on our show. I feel like his message, he's not an author, like I said, but I feel like his message would really, really help me and other authors, my clients, et cetera. I'd be like, go listen to this one because this applies to you. It's really excited. It's really 
easy to get excited about something, but it's hard to actually follow through. And that's where a lot of authors really struggle and why a lot of authors aren't successful. They get all these really big ideas, but then they don't follow through on them. And sometimes they over plan, like they get this huge big plan together where something simple would do a lot better. And so, yeah, I would love to have him on the show. All right. Next question is from Taylor F who asks, what one thing has made the biggest impact on your writing career? Parentheses. Actually, I'd love to know what each of the hosts thinks there. Yay. Talking time for Lindsay and Joe. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the biggest impact on my writing career is writing books. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Um, I mean, obviously, but it's, I couldn't decide between a couple of things. So like perma-free books, perma-free box sets and emailing every week. Those are still the biggest things for my career. Oh, we have to answer this one too, huh? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know um, anything that wouldn't be like super obvious. Like the biggest impact, honestly, is the fact that the Kindle came along and eBooks finally became a thing. Honestly, I was waiting for eBooks since like the end of the nineties when the internet was really exploding, but it was like, here's your PDF that you can read on your laptop if you would like to enjoy this story. So I was really lucky that as the time I was getting serious about like, man, I'm going to have to like submit to agents and publishers. I was super dreading it because I didn't think I really wrote what they were looking for, which is true. <laughs> um, Kindle and, and my, of course the Nook followed and the other devices. So I'm super thankful that you can do all everything on the internet <laughs> these days. And it's much more profitable as we were talking. Digital is great for giveaways and it's also great for this because it doesn't cost you anything beyond the initial investment of getting a edit done and cover art so that's been game changer for me i think that uh, the two things that that really made the biggest impact uh both had to do with timing to a degree going perma free in 2010 or 2011 that is was uh absolutely a game changer. It's what made my career possible. And then reinvesting the money that I made from that into improving the overall brand with better art and better editing. So those are the two things that made the biggest impact is, 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 you know, hitting a crest and, uh, investing the money afterwards. Well, all right. Our last question is from Brendan. Hi, Andrea. I was wondering what your editing process is like and also any editing slash writing tips you have for fellow Dragon users. Okay. So um, my process, I brainstorm, I outline, I dictate, I do my first set of revisions, which is just at a computer. Um, my second set of revisions is where I have the program I mentioned earlier, um, is it natural reader or reading natural or something like that? I have it read out loud to me as I follow along in a manuscript and that catches, catches a whole bunch of cool stuff. You know, all the fun things. Well, no, it doesn't catch the fun things. Cause those are usually the, they sound the same words, <laughs> but it does catch when I miss words and things like that. And then I send it off to my editor uh, and then I'd go over her edits and then I send it to my, um, my, basically my street team, my review crew for typos, and then I publish. So that's basically my process. Um, that has changed significantly even since I started dictating. Um, when I was typing, it was the same process. Basically, I'd only go have, <laughs> yes, colons. <laughs> Lindsay put a comment in the, in the chat. Um, but yeah, so I would, um, I, I would still only have two basic sets of revisions. But when I first started, it was like five to 10 revisions. Uh, it wasn't until I'd been writing for a while that I was able to get that down because your first draft is usually going to be cleaner than 
um, previous book's first drafts were. And then as to tips and um, writing tips and et cetera, things for dragging users, um, I've mentioned this already, but get a volunteer reader to go through your manuscripts after transcription. Um, that helps immensely. And then uh, it, it, you'll want to make sure that you're looking it over because if there's things you can be doing to improving, to improve your accuracy, you'll want to do that. Uh, so don't just hand it straight off to that person every single time. Uh, make sure you check it every now and then just to see if your in accuracy needs to be improved. Um, find some hand toys to play with for those of you who are watching the channel. Like I have these things I play with while I'm dictating, um, while we're doing podcast episodes. Uh, I mentioned my purple mattress earlier. I don't know if you guys know what a purple mattress is, but it's got purple squishy stuff inside it. And it's fantastic. So comfortable. I love it. It's the best master ever. They send you a little sample of like their purple squishy stuff. And so I'll sit and squeeze that while I'm playing while I'm playing, while I'm dictating. And it's really, really helpful. It keeps my, my brain focused. Um, I'll use pictures of locations and I'll describe those pictures. Uh, I take notes of where I am, where I leave off. So I don't have to go and find my transcription. Um, and then I don't stress over details. I put a note in the transcription for future you. One thing I've learned is to trust future me because future me is just as smart as present me. And if I need something, I don't need to stress and research and figure it out. Now I can actually make a note for future me to, um, to go over it. Yeah. Future. Let's put it this way. I trust future Joe, but past Joe is a jerk. He keeps on putting stuff on me and I don't like it. That's so true. <laughs> like, but, really, another thing I have to do in the revision? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that's uh, that wraps things up. So uh, before we, we finish off, um, what are you working on now? And where can people check out your books and courses? Um, I'm currently working on, uh, what's the name of this book? Sable Heart. It's awesome. The guy has to go to China and find a burned heart from a man who died um, a few centuries earlier. Have you guys heard of The Lake of Wine and the Forest of Meat? I have not. It's so fascinating. There's this emperor in like China. I can't remember when very, very long time ago. He, he took all of the riches of his empire and made a lake of wine, a literal lake of wine. So he could row around on a boat and be drunk basically all day. And, um, his people hated him and they burned his palace down and burned him down. Well, I have my character go over there and find his charred heart. <laughs> so that's the book I'm currently writing. Um, and then as to where people can check out my books, um, Andrea Pearson on Amazon or andreapearsonbooks.com and <laughs> the courses, I've got the best. Uh, we're going to use colon for the discount. <laughs> Lindsay's laughing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. The, Our the show is really special compared to other podcasts, I feel. I don't know if anybody else gets that. <laughs> Just saying, colon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So is that all caps or remember, I don't think is it, it matters. Colons or colon colon. Okay. Singular, important. a singular colon. <laughs> this is the discount code guys. Discount code to get 50% off of my courses <laughs> colon, uh, for 50%. I don't know. I'm writing this down for 50% off. I'm typing it as I say it. Um, selfpublishedstrongcourses.com. You can also just go to selfpublishedstrong.com. Uh, the courses I have available, I've got the one now on launching and relaunching. Um, I've got one on automation sequences, which I still recommend you use just use automation sequences unless you're Lindsay though. There was a time Do not Lindsay... be like Lindsay Do not, <laughs> but you know, like we said, you have to decide what you love doing and you can do. And email is kind of my like, ugh, 
it's yeah. always a stressor and it never finishes. So, like, unlike a book where you complete a project and it's like, woohoo, it's just, a, they email back right away. <laughs> it's, it's like, so wait until tomorrow. <laughs> so, no, it is a good practice for sure. Don't, don't be like, no. And I mean, like Lindsay's case, you're able to write fast. But I mean, a lot of the listeners who will relate with me are listeners who, who can't write a book a month, you know, or book every two months. And so, like, that's where an automation sequence actually helps because it keeps readers, you know, email newsletters, it keeps readers, um, they know who you are better and they're more likely to buy if you are releasing not as frequently as say Lindsay does, um, which is totally fine. Um, I've got courses on getting subscribers, which if you don't get subscribers, you can't get a newsletter. You don't have a newsletter list. I've also got one on getting reviews, things like that. Um, let's see all, um, the, that one course I mentioned earlier on newsletter providers, I've had to use that. And I, you know, cause I've switched my newsletter several times and that one's like a $5 course just because it's just, it's information you can get online, but I just compiled it for everybody. Um, yeah. So selfpublishedstrongcourses.com or selfpublishedstrong.com and click on courses and then coupon code colon. <laughs> and Andrea, off. I feel like you need to raise the price of it to $50. If they're going to get 50% up, you really going to give this away for $12. There's like $800 courses out there. It's probably true. a little bigger, but yeah, no, I mean like if you consider it, like these courses are like 45 minutes long. I mean, Mark Dawson's course is, it's got, it's like, like 87 hours and it's then... got sections, like hundreds <laughs> yeah. of sections in it. And like, I can't, I don't, my courses are one course at a time and you can, and that's why, I mean, if you buy all my courses, that's a couple hundred bucks, you know, maybe $300. And so, I mean, feel free to buy all of my courses, of course, but, <laughs> but um, I, I've actually found that the 50% off works pretty decently for me. It, and then it gets people to go and do the course and things like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, and that <laughs> takes us to the end. So thank you for listening. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes and leave a comment or a question at six figure authors with the number six. And uh, thanks a lot. Bye, thank everyone. you, everyone. Wait, what? Lizzie, talk to uh, Sorry. Sorry. Bye. We don't have our sign-off order down. <laughs> okay, bye, so, everyone. So long, everybody.